Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yeah! This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I am Greg Tito, and I am joined, as always, by the very undead Shelley Mazenoble. Thank you. That's nice of you to notice my undeadness this morning. You are like a Morticia, uh, perhaps, or uh, yeah. it's because you're, you're in her Halloween revels. Right. <laughs> it's the season. It's the season for my litchiness to come out. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a very scary episode here we for do. you. We really it's do. frightening, right? Yes, I'm a little disappointed that the sun came out because earlier this morning it was gray and rainy and blustery and things were hitting the windows and my Halloween decorations were flying around. And I was like, this would be a great day to talk about Curse of Strahd. Revamped. Revamped. And if you can hear it in the background here, there is all types of chanting and moaning as well as uh, summoning of demons. Yes, Uh, yes happening here in my house so it's also kind of a perfect timing that is very perfect and it's great because when you go upstairs for lunch you're not going to know who's there I, it could be uh my daughters it could be vistani it could be a veggie pygmy i don't know it, it could, could be, be all types of things yes i don't know it depends on how how good they are um at summoning how so, advanced they are in their training and really right. just you know like who feels like coming out today and we've got a fantastic uh, fall, autumn, autumnal product uh, in the Curse of Stroud Revamped. It's just so big, yes. dare I say. No, it, it is. It's yeah. the size of a toddler. It's a toddler coffin size. Heavy. Oh, that's, that's gross. <laughs> I meant like weight-wise. Like it weighs. Sure you us. did. Sure you did. I, <laughs> I, I would not go there. That's... Ugh. But it is the spooky season. It is the spooky season. I'm in the full-on throes of uh, fall. I feel like there's pumpkins everywhere. There's skeletons. Uh, It is, as you said, blustery out there in Seattle town. You got your flannel going. I got my flannel going. So, yeah, you are are straight out of a fall catalog, mister. I am am certainly trying. Yeah, Uh, it's, it's almost time to take my child to the grocery store and tell him it's a pumpkin patch. All I need to do is uh, lounge on a red velvet chair with a glass of red wine and casually have a Taroka card in my hand that I'm tossing at you with a come hither type of look. You are so strotty, it's just not even funny. I, I, although Strahd doesn't have a beard, that's the one thing I need to, I need to abandon if I'm going to go full Strahd. We're going to have to ask Perkins about that. Yeah. Why not? We, Put Mr. Chris Perkins in a full Strahd costume uh, for a excellent live show uh, during TwitchCon a couple of years ago, and he looked the part fantastically. I must say. Yes. Well, he he does transform quite well. He's he's had a number of wonderful costumes. Yeah, he uh, is also very good at transforming. Older adventures uh, from D&D's past into something amazing and full of character and story uh, like he did with 
Curse of Strahd when it was first released mm-hmm. in 2015. Uh, we, I think we've said it before, and, and uh, we talked with him back then when we were still doing Dragon Talk back then, Shelley. Uh, wow. I've, we spoke to Tracy Hickman uh, and Chris Perkins about their collaboration on uh, you know, getting the inspiration kind of ready for this, but then Chris Perkins wrote a lot of it himself. Of course Over the course did. of a winter vacation. Yes, I want to uh, ask him about that. So we'll talk to him about that as well as what it was like to revisit uh, and or revamp Curse of Strahd for a uh, $99 release that is available on October 20th of this year, 2020. Yes, coming up. Very My soon. dad's birthday. Yeah. He's, he's gonna, is he going to play Curse of Strahd on his birthday? Oh, yeah. Strahd is his favorite. So Excellent. Excited. You must be excited for it to be your first dungeon mastering uh, foray. I he's one of the few people that I have dungeon mastered for. <laughs> so you have done it before, okay? Good. I have. You're, yeah, I've had like three not great forays into dungeon mastering. My mom and my dad were one of them. They were probably the best of because they were just like, I can't do anything anything wrong in their eyes. What Either. do they know about Dungeons and Dragons? Right. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, maybe you'll take uh, take them up on uh, on doing this again uh, with your extended family in various ways uh, for this fall. It's a great way to if you missed playing Curse of Strahd back when it was first released, uh, or if you're just uh, excited to revisit it because it does have tons of replayability. Um, you can use the Taroka deck mechanic oh, to uh, basically set the objectives wherever you want in the town of Barovia, the, the realm of Barovia, I will say. Um, and so, yeah, it, no, I mean, this is true of every D&D campaign, but no two campaigns will be the same. You'll have a very different uh, experience each time you do it, and especially if you haven't played it in four years, you know, you've grown and changed over four years, and so have your friends, so why not revisit and or revamp it? And there's I'm, cool I'm all for it. stuff making, in the box. You're, you're inspiring me to like think of more questions to ask him. I have so many. There's so many. We're going to talk to Chris Perkins today, in fact, in case you haven't realized. Maybe we should have mentioned that. Yeah, we are going to talk to him all about Curse of Strahd and Revamped and uh, spooky stories in general. Uh, and it is going to be super fun. Um, and we're also going to talk to him uh, about some lore uh, in a little bit. Uh, but before we do that, I wanted to make sure those of you who uh, you know have already pre-ordered and are getting the Curse of Strahd revamp product, there's another one that you should be excited about, which is called Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Yes. Witches and vampires. We're all about it this season. Oh, yeah. Right? Peas in a pod. Totally. Liches and witches and vampires. Oh, Oh, my. my. That that was almost like a George Takei oh, my, that you just gave. Oh, my. Maybe it's C-3PO. I don't know. It's hard to tell, really. It's it's a it's a work in progress. It's right. something it's I'm always, just workshopping over here. Always improving. Yes. Um, but that is a release that will have tons of new subclasses for players to try, magic items, spells, uh, great stuff for dungeon masters, including group patrons and. Uh, a section on how to run puzzles in yes. your game. Yes. Uh, so Tasha's College and Everything comes out November 17th. Chock full of amazing stuff. You yes. grab it. For DMs There's, and players. Everybody right. has got something to love in this book. Everybody. There's two great 
covers, uh, alternate cover mm-hmm. you can only get through game stores. Definitely try and order that one if you are interested. Uh, and there's also a couple of other fun things, including the uh, wilderness kit, right? Yes. What's the yes. official name of that one? Uh, DM Screen Wilderness Kit. DM Screen Wilderness Kit. Yes. I feel like DM screens are kind of like dice and you can't have too many. You can't handle the truth. You can't. But you know what's cool about this? This uh, wilderness kit, because the word kit is in there, which should imply that it has lots of little things in it other than just a DM screen. Oh, it is not just a DM screen. However, if you are running Adventures in the Wilderness, it is tailored for that with the information that is portrayed on the back of that DM screen for your little Dungeon Master eyes only. It also includes five, five dry erase sheets that feature the hex maps. How cool is that? That That's really cool. Endless, endless possibilities. Uh, Food and water tracker and a rules reference for uh, wilderness chases, wilderness journeys. And actions that you can take in combat. And you get 27 cards because Dungeon Masters like accessories. And these are things that you can use to track um, initiative, conditions, environmental effects. And you might be saying, what am I going to do with all those cards, Shelly? 27 of them, really? It comes with a box to store them. Oh, yeah. What? We thought of that. Um, I like cards and boxes. Well, what a fun deal. For those of you who are not, you know, jumping into a gothic horror campaign or a, um, you know, uh, something that follows Icewind Dale, for example, and you just love a hex crawl and want to uh, show off that type of gameplay with some great, ex- uh, you know, a, a great accessory, it's right there. Yeah. All of it's right there. And it's, it's like a, just a nice gift to give to your dungeon master. Yeah. Like, you here, know? we appreciate you. We do. And we want more wilderness adventures. Exactly. So um, anyway, I think that is, uh, it's, it's twenty four ninety nine. So I, I think you get, I almost think we made a mistake because <laughs> uh, um, you get a lot of content in there and it's just, it's a pretty good price point, I think. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to make sure to shout out something really cool from our friends at WizKids. Uh, you can now order directly from WizKids at dndmini.com. Uh, that's D letter N D mini.com. And there is so many amazing ways to get pre-painted miniatures, uh, painted, you know, uh, unpainted ones that you can paint yourselves. Some of the great, uh, lifestyle type things, including the, um, dragon heads, uh, that you can have in the background, as well as some of the larger, uh, dragons that I've shown off before, including the um, Shardalyn dragon and things yes. like that. But what's really cool, if you're prepping for Curse of Strahd and running uh, Curse of Strahd Revamped, they have two sets of seven pre-painted figures. Uh, one of them is called Covens and Covenants. The other is called Legends of Barovia. And they are pre-painted minis of major NPCs from the adventure. And so if you are really looking to run a campaign with some uh, well-designed miniatures and painted ones uh, from that exact set. Uh, you can get these. No blind boxes. You get to know exactly what you get. They're $40, uh, and you get seven uh, pre-painted uh, figures in that, and they look fantastic. So uh, great way to, to uh, 
you know, increase your miniatures library as you're prepping to run Curse of Strahd. Um, and also, you know, I, I, I do want to say this, that a lot of people don't have access to a friendly gaming store in their neighborhood, so they're not able to purchase these through that. That's what this website is all about, is to be able to allow you to purchase um, directly from WizKids without having to, uh, to travel. But I do definitely want to encourage everyone, if you do have access to a friendly local game store and it's safe for you to visit it, definitely order these through there. They are your best chance at getting uh, the, uh, these miniatures for sure. Sounds good. Cool stuff, right? Yes. Who doesn't need more minis or baby I, monsters as we call them in our house? Baby monsters. Baby monsters. Does Quinn like playing with them? Oh, he does. He really does. Yeah. You know what my girls have got into? I mean, this is not, uh, uh, you know, because it's still in the same Hasbro family. Transformers. My, my, I mean, they've always loved the, the, the old Transformers really? that I've had uh, on display around here. But recently, uh, yeah, my, daughter, my oldest daughter, uh, nine years old, has been really getting into uh, transforming them and creating like little stories with them and stuff. And so, really? Uh, yeah. Is very... she playing with your vintage Transformers? My vintage Transformers. And I keep and being like, all... don't force it because it might break. But you're, yeah. you're allowing that. You're okay They're already that. broken. You know, mm-hmm. I broke them many times. When you were a kid. When I was a kid. So yeah. I was letting her happen. And then, you know, I had a good Grimlock, the, the dinosaur, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex uh, one. I think Fiona broke that a couple of days, uh, days a couple of years <laughs> ago. So the worst has already happened. Let them play. They're playing. Let things. them play. Let them play. Well, we got a, a package delivered today, and I got all excited because I assumed it was for me. And Bart was like, it's mine. It's an action figure. <laughs> <laughs> We call them dolls. Oh, you got a new doll? Uh, which I think might be for Quinn, but I don't, I mean, it's not. I'm using, yeah. I'm using air quilts. It's I for was, Quinn. I qu- yeah, that's, yeah, these are, these are for, you know, father, father, son time. Which he, he will play with. He loves action figures, but. For sure. Go to someone else. Exactly. I will. Uh, say I definitely did start looking at the Pulse.com at Transformers uh, to see if there were some new ones that Edna might want to get into. Uh, it's definitely on our radar. I feel like Transformers are kind of like STEM-ish toys just because of the way they transform and the way you can like put them back together. And you know, I, I could see Edna being into the mechanics of a Transformer. It is. So. She's definitely uh, taking it like a like a Rubik's cube a little bit. Where like, hey, look, I did it all by myself. You know that type of uh, thing. So you're right. There is something to that. Uh, parents out there, toys are STEM. They that there are in fact STEM toys. Yes. Yes. I feel like D and D should be included. Right. Yeah. You have to uh, read and interpret text, and then uh, and make decisions based on analysis of the environment that you're in yeah see so, we're like we're in it there is some like science and nature stuff i roll high on my nature checks every single time I mean, if you're casting a spell you need components that is science mixing your little spell <laughs> components together <laughs> <laughs> with like a porter and mesel you know a porter and mesel no mortar and pestle <laughs> <laughs> see if you did it the other way then it would have exploded in your face it's not just for English majors. It's for no. STEM, too. Yep. 
Excellent. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to go talk to uh, an English major right now about uh, some lore behind Barovia. And then we will come back and talk to Mr. Perkins, yeah. the two of us, about Curse of Strahd revamped and some fun stuff going on there. So let's, okay. Hurry let's up, I'm do excited. it, shall we? Yes, yes. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito and I'm joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Hello. Hello. Today in this segment where we like to go into little bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore for uh, use within your game or just because it's really fun to know all this stuff, we are going to go through the mists into Barovia, a domain of dread, uh, and talk a little bit about its lands and how it was devised, but also uh, some stuff you'll need to know if you're going to be running Curse of Strahd Revamped, which comes out on October 20th. So, Chris, Barovia started as just one castle uh, in its creative (laughs) genesis. Is that right? Well, yeah. I mean, um, the original Ravenloft predated uh, anything that was written about the idea of Domains of Dread. Domains of Dread did not exist at that time. So Ravenloft was just this land called Barovia, which was a small, um, you know, lap of land with a castle in the center and a small village at its base. That was Barovia. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't even cordoned off by mists or anything. It was just, here is a land like, you know, Transylvania or Romania or any other place you can actually visit uh, that you can just plop into your own game. The thing, of course, is Barovia has a very strong um, Transylvanian, Eastern European flair. Yeah, taking the the Dracula and and all of those gothic horror tales as jumping off points for inspiration. Exactly, but it wasn't it wasn't uh, back then in its original form this cordoned off domain that you could only get to uh, you know by traveling through the mists. Was it even placed in a? In a D&D setting, or was it very no. just setting agnostic? It was setting agnostic, so it was meant you could just drop it into wherever, wherever it was thematically appropriate for your own campaign. So then what was uh, the idea behind creating what we now refer to as do- Domains of Dread, so that it kind of separated you asked. Yeah, so the in, the TS, in the TSR era, Ravenloft was so well-received, and there seemed to be such an appetite for gothic horror, both in the community and at TSR itself, that... Um, uh, it was decided that Ravenloft would not just be the name of the castle, but the name of an entire campaign setting. Mm. And as you know, second edition was big into campaign settings um, and creating new ones. And Ravenloft was one of the first that kind of got away from the idea of a campaign setting as a normal world, like a normal medieval world. This was a real opportunity to redefine what a campaign setting could mean. And so, uh, out of that came this idea of Ravenloft is the is sort of the banner name we give to the campaign setting uh, that represents all of these Barovia-like places um, and making each of them uh, their own standalone, standalone pieces. It's, it's kind of weird because when you think about it, Ravenloft is not a contiguous campaign. Mm. What it is, it's a collection or assemblage of a bunch of micro campaigns that are all separated from each other and unified only by the theme of horror. 
Uh, and in fact, it wasn't even until you got deeper into the Ravenloft line that you could sort of march from one domain to another, that there were technically borders that could be crossed. So you could go from Barovia into Lamordia or um, Mordenshire or um, one of these other domains that were created. So Ravenloft was an opportunity at TSR for every designer to sort of create their own domain in a way. Um, and there was seen as like no limit to the number of domains of dread that could fall under the Ravenloft banner. The only thing you needed was some touchstone uh, that people could relate to, whether it was like zombie films or the mummy yeah. or, you know, ghost pirate ship. You know, if you could, if you could identify a touchstone that had a horror uh, had horror at its core, you could build an entire domain around it. But of course, the classic domain of Dread, the original, is Barovia. And in second edition, it changed from being this lap of land that isn't cut off by mists into its own mist-shrouded realm uh, with Strahd, the vampire, trapped at the center of it. That makes sense. And so when you were returning to... Uh, Curse of Strahd and, and writing that up, you, you had the chance to be able to flesh out what that, you know, lap of land transformed into. Yeah, exactly. Sort of to push the mists back and show a little bit more of the area around the castle. Um, and that had been previously done in second edition as well. There were efforts to try to uh, explain that there was more in Barovia than just the castle and the village. Uh, but when we were uh, when the group of us who were sort of uh, tackling Cursive Strahd conceptually sat down with um, Tracy and Laura to have conversations, um, it was very important that the Barovia we show felt like a true extension of what they had originally envisioned. From the, uh, from the I-6, uh, yeah, 16 from pages. Yeah, the I-6, yeah. So it was very important that we start there and use that as our base and not try to bring in a bunch of the other stuff that may have been uh, created uh, without Tracy and Laura's oversight. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, before we go on, how, how big in roughly uh, square miles do you think Barovia is? Like, does it feel like, you know, the size of Texas? Is it the size of Connecticut? Oh, it's, it's not that, it's, it's not as big as a, as a state. Um, I would say, looking at the map, that it's about, oh, bless you. Like, it's probably about maybe 30 miles across. Okay. So, you know, the, 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 like a metropolitan area, like around, yeah. around one major, major city with a few villages uh, around mm-hmm. it. Yeah, but if, as you can imagine, um, 30 miles is a considerable distance when people are basically accustomed to moving around just on foot yes. or on horseback. You know, it's, it's you know, uh, in, that, in the day and age, <laughs> in medieval times, if you, if you moved more than 30 miles away from your homestead, you were considered an explorer. Yeah, <laughs> right. I always think of that uh, that quote from Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, where like, if I take one more step, I'm further away from home than I've ever been. And uh, right, yes, that would happen like this very often. And so you can do a lot in in thirty miles of space, uh, and and drop a lot of interesting sites there. And so, I mean, the key with Curse of Strahd is you, even with the new the expanded page count, there's still a finite amount of space. 
and so some decisions had to be made about, okay, how many locations can we do? What should those locations be? How complex are each of those locations and which ones can we fit and which ones do we have to leave behind? Yeah. So uh, you winnow down that list, but then what are, what are some of the highlights there that people should be aware of? So it was important that, or we, we felt at the time it was important that we have more than one village or settlement in order for it to feel like a province or something, something that felt provincial, yeah. that there would be a, a couple settlements that the characters could move between. And then thematically, we could, set, we could make those settlements very distinct from each other by giving them uh, problems that felt very unique and had a certain flavor of horror to them so that the village of Barovia feels very different from the town of uh, Valaki, which feels very different from the village of Kresk, which is sort of further, deeper back in the mountains. Um, and then we added, we threw in a ruined town, essentially a town that did not survive Strahd's depredations. And uh, it's just a, sort of this haunted ruin of a town called Berez. And those four sort of um, survived. And then everything else is uh, more like an adventure location, like the old windmill on the, on the windswept crag or the, the spooky crumbling bridge that spans the icy chasm in the mountains or the vineyard uh, where um, the, the Wizards of Wine winery is, um, which was important uh, because we were talking about, you know, how do, how do Barovians survive or get by, you know, um, how do they cope with the day-to-day misery of being sort of trapped in this domain? And It's not too different from being trapped in our domain of dread that we're in right now. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. It's like, okay, what what am I going to what am I going to lean on in these hard times? And it's like, well, with Barovians, it it might very well be wine. Um, that that wine is a coping mechanism that helps them uh, endure, and so that became an important element of the landscape. Now, were these towns there before? Strahd's influence, or and the people within them, or were they? Once this became a uh, a place that you can only visit by by traveling through the mists, um, were they grown from there? Oh. So the 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 idea is is that um, when Strahd first came to this domain, because he basically conquered it, mm. um, he before he became a vampire, he was a, basically a warlord and was going through and eradicating his enemies. And then he came to this land and was so sort of struck by its beauty and its seclusion that he said, you know, this is where I'm going to build my castle. And we presume that these settlements, uh, maybe not the village of Barovia, because that probably grew up around the, the castle to an extent, but the other settlements probably existed and he just took them over. Um, but they, they would have transformed quite a bit in the in the in the conquest uh, because one of the things Strahd was very fond of doing was not only conquering a people but forcibly relocating them mm. so he'd he would move people that he had previously conquered into places that he had newly conquered in order to sort of well and truly established now that these places were his and that he could do what he wanted with them I see. and so i think you would have seen a lot of people flee these towns, and then a lot of people take them over. 
And but most of the people I suspect who who grew to live in Barovia under Strahd's rule probably came with him or came after him and settled there. But the structures that they were inhabiting, some of them would have pre-existed the invasion. Got it. Um, now, are people in Barovia people, or are they they trapped souls? Are they you know uh, how how should a dungeon master approach this when uh, trying? That to- is a very good question because this is not something that Tracy and Laura had to wrestle with in the original because Barovia was just a land; yeah. it wasn't separated. They were just people. But when uh, with the idea that this is a domain of dread and it's cut off from the rest of the world, you know, there's a finite number of people there. Eventually, that's going to sort of it's just going to dwindle down to nothing um, unless they're very unless they're uh, very precocious sexually, um, which they probably wouldn't be under the circumstances. <laughs> but well, there so is the we wine. Have, we, Maybe the wine helps. Yeah, there. there is the wine would help. The <laughs> wine would certainly help. Um, but the, uh, what we decided on, what we thought would be creepy, is that uh, because in Dracula, the the Bram Stoker novel, yeah, there is this recurring theme of resurrection that people get basically reborn into new bodies, but they're kind of the same people. Yeah. Um, uh, like, a, like a Dracula's wife. And then, um, you know, the woman he pursues, he sees his wife in her basically. Um, uh, that, that because resurrection and rebirth are, are sort of part of the Dracula motif that we would incorporate in the story by saying that souls. So when a Barovian, when a Barovian dies, and their soul takes flight to go to the afterlife, it doesn't get through the mists. It gets, it gets sort of steered back and sort of uh, like uh, snared and funneled back into a new birth. So when a, when a child is born in Barovia, it actually contains an old soul mm. that is just constantly being recycled over and over and over and over again. And then we also presumed that not everybody in Barovia actually has a soul that some of the people in Barovia are merely shells, uh, projections created by the domain of dread to create the illusion of a living, breathing society or ecosystem. And so there are some people who, when they die, they just don't come back. And that that helped us in a number of ways because um, we, we can have imagery in the adventure of you know, here is Tatiana, Strahd's true love. Here is Irina Kolyana, who looks just like her. It's the same soul recycling through new bodies. But then there are other characters that just die and disappear and never return. Um, and we just say, oh, those are the shells. Those are the, those are the fake people, the people who don't know that they're not really people. Um, That's almost and, like creepier uh, thinking of Barovia as this... Uh, snow globe trap yes. that souls can sometimes come and get out of maybe, but mostly mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. Are, are, are. And then visually um, live there. One of, one of the things that was important too, was that we sh- when we show Barovians who don't have souls, their faces look lifeless, that there's no spark in their eyes. They've just sort of got these dead expressions. And so if you meet a Barovian, you may not be able to tell if they have a soul right away, but there's something there's something there that betrays the fact that they're not truly that they're they're truly just sort of soulless husks mm-hmm. parading through 
the daily routine without any love, passion, or desire really to do anything. Ugh, I don't know what's more horrific. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And not knowing, I think, is part of it. Um, yeah. And, and it's really interesting to set this up as a dungeon master that, that the, the player characters are outsiders, that they're coming into this with yes. no knowledge necessarily of what's, uh, you know, what we're just talking about here, but they'll discover it along the way and how those creepy things manifest themselves. Precisely. There's also the potential for a very bittersweet moment at the end where if you destroy Strahd and you free Barovia from the mists, that a bunch of people just fade away. Oh. In, in like a, you know, Avengers Infinity but War kind sort of way. Like Aven- yeah, they just sort of ashes blow away like, oh my God, those people who were trying to help weren't actually real. I love that. Yeah. Uh, did you do a good thing just then or not? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it's, it, it, you can't tell, you know, their life wasn't happy, but at least they had life. Yeah. Now they just cease to exist. Wow. All right. Well, all of the fun moral quandaries, uh, as well as <laughs> horror themes that uh, you just brought to light in a way for, for people who are going to be picking up Curse of Strahd revamped, hopefully playing it around this Halloween time. Uh, thank you. Thank you for all that. I, I, I feel creeped out, but also uh, excited to run something. So that's good. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'm going to go get some of my Wizards of Wine, uh, br- uh, you know, juice <laughs> and uh, get into reading <laughs> Curse of Strahd. Uh, thanks, Chris, for, for coming through. If people have any questions for how to potentially run this campaign uh, or just want to show you some cool art they made, what's the best way that they can do so? I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks again, Chris. And uh, we'll be back with some more fun stuff next week. Chris Perkins, I feel Not like a phantom. I could speak to him and get so much amazing information uh, and just like pull it out like little dream wisps from his brain. Nice. I thought you were going to go grosser than that. So I like the dream wisps. Yeah, let's, let's go with dream wisps. wisps. Uh, and you know what's great about this episode? Double Perkins. We get double Perkins. That's Yay. right. It sounds like a wrestling maneuver. <laughs> it's like we a full double Nelson Perkins. Yep. And a double Perkins and off the top rope. That's Can't. all I know. Wait, let's do this. Let's talk to um <laughs> Welcome Chris Perkins back to Dragon Talk. Hi Chris. Hello. Yay. I feel like it's been uh, you know, just a couple of weeks since we last chatted. It I has know. indeed. Weird. Yes. You just keep putting out so many great products. We just have to keep having you back on. <laughs> And then when they're out for a little while, then we put them out again. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> we Simple know that's your strategy, just to keep getting invited back to Dragon Talk. Oh, that, yeah, right. <laughs> I give myself all this extra work just so I can get invited. Oh, maybe now they'll invite Onto your show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, seconds before we started recording, you said that you look pale. I say maybe vampire Vampiric. Vampire. <laughs> I say vampire. Okay. <laughs> tomato, tomato. But yes, uh, maybe. Irish. Yeah. Yeah. The nice straw nice, yeah. of nice Seattle added. tan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
It reminds me of when, uh, and I mentioned this in the intro, that you uh, dressed up as Mr. Count, not Mr. Count. <laughs> Mr. Count. Mr. Very Count informal. himself. Mr. God, no. Uh, Mr. Zorovich, better. Yeah. Mr. Z. Mr. Z. Mr. Z. That was a million years ago. That was at a TwitchCon. Like, yes. what, three years ago? It was. Yeah. Right. Full costumes for everyone. Uh, and you. I think had the most intricate costume out of everyone uh, looking not not like the Curse of Strahd that's on the cover uh, not the Curse of Strahd, not like the Strahd that's on the cover but a straw that's uh, in an interior illustration. Yes, yes. Although the costume uh, grossly overestimated my waistline so the pants kept falling down. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about that? Like when I was having the costume fitting? Is this going to was- be like another you in a robot costume? Are <laughs> 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 unable to get up off the sidewalk? Oh. So- it kinda. So I'm, I'm in my full Strahd makeup and hair and all the bit. I'm heading out to the stage. And to get there, you had to walk through the kitchen of the convention center. I don't okay. know if you, ever, if you were there, Shelly, or not. No, I wasn't. Yeah, to get from the dressing rooms, you had to walk literally through the kitchen. And um, my pants fell down right in the middle of the kitchen with all the kitchen staff <laughs> um, preparing. Uh, just staring at me with my pants down. Oh my god! Looking like and a vampire with a sword. With my Seattle right. tan, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so I just basically had to shuffle back to the dressing room with my pants around my ankles. Uh, and you didn't then pull have them, them up and have them basically safety pinned. Oh my god! Uh, in place. That you know is what? amazing. When I play Curse of Strahd now. I'm going to, when I encounter Strahd, I'm going to think about them and be like, I bet he has safety pins in his pants and he's not that scary anymore. (laughs) I love love that your pants fell down in the kitchen and everybody's And and they just like dropped. They didn't like just inch down. They just went poof, right to the floor. Like like clown pants? (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. Man, wow. now I hope this leads to people who are going to play Curse of Strahd revamped, and uh, their goal will be to pants Strahd uh, yes. at some point. Curse of Strahd repants. Repants. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to kill him. We'll see or, you in two years. You know, to talk liberate about that Barovia from, from the hands of a dread vampire lord. No, we <laughs> just want to embarrass him. Yes. Extra points if you can do it in the kitchen. Yes, that's how you shame Strahd. You pants him. Yeah. Well, isn't it all about like he's, you know, he's having dinner and you're invited. So now yeah. I really just picture him like going to his kitchen staff and just screaming at them and his pants fall down around his ankles. Yeah. yeah. And everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and then he kills them all. Right. Or every time you encounter him, he's just not wearing pants. Like he's sitting at the dining room table, but he's not wearing his pants. Right. <laughs> I mean, thank you. He's playing, he's, playing, of... he's playing the organ, not wearing pants. That changes the whole cover image here that I'm looking well, at. Well, yeah. Then it starts getting very Sharon Stone at that point. I think like look closely at his face. He looks like he's saying, mm-hmm. ouch, <laughs> the safety pin is came undone. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just poking me in the butt cheek. <laughs> Very so ungratified. We, we've just done yeah. a really great job of making Strahd like a very serious villain <laughs> by <laughs> pantsing him and talking about his pants being safety <laughs> pinned. 
He had to go to his mom. And we say that, of course, because he's he's obviously one of the most terrifying villains. Clearly. That uh, you know, that's why this is all so very funny, and one of the reasons why I think Chris, you added so much humor into this adventure was that if you're just going to be terrifying vampire uh, and all of this dread and awfulness in Barovia going on, uh, it can get very one note and very samey. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember having a conversation with uh, Tracy about that um, because there was humor in the original Ravenloft adventure, but most of it was saved for the the catacombs at the end of Ravenloft. And I was curious about whether that was by design or whether Tracy and Laura just got to the end of the adventure and were so tired they started to get really silly. Um, But it was deliberate. It was an attempt to diffuse the horror. um, And uh, in order to build horror, of course, you have to have these sort of highs and lows of emotion you have to put people off their guard and one way you can do that is through humor and then of course build up the horror again um and so it was a very deliberate attempt in curse of Strahd to seed more bits of horror more bits of humor through the adventure at certain points and times um to keep it from becoming monotonous right so urban legend says that over a Christmas break of about two weeks or so, while most of us were off eating sugar cookies and drinking wine and watch, watching Bravo television, um, you went off and wrote this adventure. I went off and Personal wrote the first draft, yeah. And it took about three weeks. Uh, and that was including uh, retyping out the original Ravenloft adventure. What? Um, because we didn't have digital files. You retyped the original adventure? Yeah. Because the original adventure is basically contained within Curse of Strahd. Um, so that was all done over that period of time. So what what was it? I mean, three weeks seems quick for a first draft, yes? It is, un, uh, unnaturally so. But I felt at the time I was so, um, I don't want to use the word obsessed because that's a little too heavy. But I was deeply, deeply invested in proving that... Um, we could do something really interesting with that old adventure and kind of build around it and release a product that um, kind of uh, took the story as its framework and then expanded it in interesting directions to make Strahd even more fearsome, to create more of a a full campaign feel. Okay. Yeah. I I do remember hearing like, or maybe you had even told me that you were just like, had very focused very inspired by this or it was yeah Ravenloft has always been the original Ravenloft which came out in 1983 was always one of my favorite adventures because Strahd was such a rich villain and because the setting was so lush and uh, vibrant and well detailed and the castle was just amazing um, that uh, it was it was always on my radar uh, with fifth edition when I was working on the monster manual and writing the vampire entry and making sure there was an image of Strahd's castle in the monster manual, it was always my intention to try to do something interesting with Ravenloft going forward. I had also worked with Tracy once before on a Dragonlance project and was really, really eager to be able to work with him again um, in some capacity. So I was committed. And we spoke to uh, you and Tracy and uh, I believe Laura actually joined the conversation too uh, an early episode of Dragon Talk back in 2015 uh, about your meeting. Uh, and it was really fascinating. If you guys, you know, obviously longtime listeners will remember that, but definitely go back and, and revisit that interview if you're interested. But one of the things that struck me out was that, uh, struck out to me during that conversation was that this adventure was a departure from 
the adventure writing that came before it. And many people kind of say like, oh, this adventure was a jumping point, uh, jumping off point for all adventures that had been written in Dungeons and Dragons going forward. Can you talk a little bit about, about why that was so in your thoughts? Yeah, so prior to the release of Ravenloft in the 80s, um, adventures in D&D were largely dungeon crawls. Uh, and that was how people assumed kind of D&D adventures should be designed, that essentially you have... Uh, you know, the characters have a, a threadbare plot that gets them to this big place that they have to explore. And they just sort of go room through room for room, plowing through it, getting treasure and then bailing. Um, and what what sort of uh, intrigued Tracy and Laura was the idea of having a more multifaceted story kind of drive the action and have the have the villain be the thing around which the story orbits instead of just a dungeon. Um, part of it stems from the fact that uh, uh, Tracy felt that previously vampires were just treated like any other dungeon monster. You know, you find a tomb, there's a vampire, you kill it, you take its stuff, you move on. Uh, there's, nothing, there's no real dimension to the vampire. And uh, because the vampire embodies so many, it's sort of like an amalgamation of so many myths and touchstones and latent fears and uh, superstitions uh, in all sorts of societies uh, throughout the world, uh, Tracy and Laura felt that they could really mine the vampire myth and really sort of dig, sink their teeth into it, as it were, uh-huh. and, and give the vampire the, the justice it deserved, an entire adventure of its own. And out of that, Ravenloft arose um, and Castle Ravenloft, uh, the big this sort of massive edifice that many people have died in now, um, also kind of arose out of that. It was, uh, it was, interesting, unchar- uh, was uncharted ground. Yeah, and speaking of charts, the, the map of Castle Ravenloft was isometric, and it had three floors on it, which I think was also a first for a Dungeons & Dragons adventure. We had right? never seen a map rendered that way uh, of a location in a D&D adventure before where it was this uh, 3D perspective, and you could see all the levels and how they connected to one another. Um, at a glance, I mean, it made it made you know redrawing maps as a dungeon master very challenging, but it was instantly immersive. You got the location, you got its sense of scale and scope, and just how fantastic this place is. Um, it, it begged exploration. Yeah, and I think a lot of people latched yeah. onto that yes. uh, image as well as the image of the vampire. Uh, yes. That is exactly. Did you know in the original Ravenloft there were no bathrooms? Just like the house on the hill in Betrayal at House on the right? Hill. Right? Yeah. Probably um, the same builder, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's, that, that, that very well could be. <laughs> um, and uh, one of the things that I uh, talked to Tracy about, because um, I'm, you know, I've always been interested in architecture. If I hadn't been a game designer, I probably would have been an architect. I could but, see that. Um, or a... Or a political speech writer, one of those two things. Very similar. uh, One of the other things that was not lost on me, and it was a conscious thing about uh, the design of Castle Ravenloft, is once you get inside it, it starts to almost make no sense that you, uh, the way staircases connect to levels and the way things are laid out is specifically designed to disorient (sighs) creatures inside of it. So they lose track spatially of where they are in the castle. Oh, that's so cool. Isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was all deliberate. 
And so people often wonder, who built this place and why did they build it like this? This makes no sense. You have to go up, then down, then across, then up again, even higher, and then back down to get to this place that's right above this other place. It's like, yes, it's, it's by design. It's there to torture the people who, who are you know, wandering around inside of it. If you're is a vampire, it? you're a bat. You don't care. You can fly from one window to the next and get around. As, as the crow flies or the yeah. bat in this case. Is, um, is it a conscious choice to not have a bathroom? Because that, that can really mess with people. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, one assumes that when this castle was built, I think cher- chamber pots were probably in vogue. Mm. Oh, in vogue. You just throw your chamber pot, you know, off the uh, off the balcony or the the wall and call it good. You know, yeah. Or, so, the or wall. servant does. You don't. You don't have. Well, you know, Castle Ravenloft is surrounded by big towering walls, so you could walk out onto the battlements of a wall and throw it off a cliff, basically. Um, so I assume that's how they handled it back in the day. But of course now, Strahd being a vampire doesn't need to poo. So he doesn't care that there's no bathrooms. <laughs> but um, he has guests all the time. He's having well, they dinner. Well, they don't leave. He has guests, but they never leave. <laughs> and, and it's not their comfort he's concerned with. No, definitely not. They're there just, you know, to be fed upon or locked in tombs and used to feed his brides. Now I've got Hotel California playing. I, have, I went there too. <laughs> it's a good soundtrack for when you're running Ravenloft. Uh, so that was a, uh, really great release in 2015. It's hard to go back that far, but it was the first. Actually, I think it came out in 2016. Did it? Yeah, I think oh, so. Oh man, now I'm really messing up my But it was saying. the first half of the year, um, because in 2016 we released two stories, this one and Storm King's Thunder. Yeah, this one, Curse of Strahd originally released in March 2016. 2016, excellent. Uh, so, uh, what was the... Uh, impetus to kind of go back and you know kind of kind of try to create this deluxe box. What what, what kind of cool stuff uh, were you excited to kind of see put into you mean Curse of Strahd? Deluxe box, yes. The coffin shaped box. I wouldn't have done it if we didn't get the coffin shaped box. By the way, the smart. I think I putting. Said, yeah, I'm you really out. needed. Yeah. In fact, I think it was the coffin shaped box that kind of sold initially. People just on the concept of taking an adventure and repackaging it. I do remember talking about this coffin-shaped box, which seems like years ago. Yes. It wasn't. I mean, it, it in fact was that. probably at least two years ago. Yeah, it actually probably was two years ago. Yeah, yeah. That's when the conversation would have started. Yeah. Uh, so what prompted us to do it? Well, I always felt that with Curse of Strahd, like with Ravenloft, cards, the cards, the Taraka deck, mm-hmm. um, you mean- was... Yes, those. <laughs> so beautiful. Those cards are such an intrinsic part of the adventure experience that they were really always meant to be together. Because for those who don't know, you use the Taraka deck to randomly determine where certain things are in the adventure. Where Strahd is, uh, where, where basically where you have your final showdown with him, where you can find... Um, a treasure that can be used to defeat Strahd, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, so, sorry, is it the dungeon master who is the one who's using the Taroka deck? Yes. Okay. But it's done out in the open. Okay. So the dungeon master lays out cards randomly in the open, and that determines things that the players can then use to, to deal with Strahd. But um, previous, when we released Curse of Strahd as a book, of course, we couldn't sell the cards along with it. So we partnered with Gale Force 9 to release the deck and you could then buy them separately and use them together. But I felt that 
the ideal package would be to be able to put the cards and the adventure into one place. So you get both at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then um, once we committed to the idea of actually doing that, then the question becomes, what else do we put in the box to create a fun experience for the DM? And what else did you put in the box? I know we've kind of talked about it, Greg and I, but... Let's yeah, we've uh, yeah. Um, people who have seen the IGN unboxing video have probably seen uh, the components. But uh, I think the next thing we talked about was uh, breaking up the adventure into smaller pieces. Yeah. Right. So, for instance, putting the monsters in a separate book. That way, the DM can keep the adventure open and then look at the monsters mm-hmm. without having to flip back and forth in the same book. Yeah. And so really that was nice. a better experience. And then, of course, we wanted the poster map to be in there, uh, Barovia and the castle as a separate piece. Uh, We wanted the handouts that appeared in the back of the book originally to be separate things that the DM can just hand out. So basically loose leaf sheets of paper. And then conversations started to go around. Well, apart from just breaking up the adventure and its components into separate elements, what other fun things can we put in? There, we had a long list, like about 50 or 60 different things, some of which had to be thrown out simply from a production point of view. Others from a, others from, so from a production point of view, um, one of the ideas was a straw puppet. Mm. Um, but uh, in order to produce it, it would have been problematic. And then there are all kinds of um, uh, protocols surrounding things like cloth, types and safety and things like that. Like you can't have things with um, pins or staples or anything in them, uh, anything like that. So that became, uh, we also talked about, let's put us a wooden stake in there. Well, no, because that could actually be used to stab someone. (laughs) Uh, We talked about, uh, you know, putting in uh, wax seals, uh, you know, with the Ravenloft stamp on it, but there are issues surrounding rubber and what kinds of rubber we can use. And, you know, uh, you know, Fashioning anything out of wood is tricky. Right. Um, so we talked about a bunch of stuff like that and then settled on a few actually useful gimmicks, things that we know players, uh, DMs might use, the postcards being one of them. Um, so the we came up with this idea of putting in a set of 12 postcards with different art that the DM could basically send out to players like invitations to mm-hmm. the game. Um, and then we tried to figure out, well, what art will we put on it? What style of art? Well, we wanted kind of a poster card style artist to do that work. And then when we realized uh, uh, that that art could work just as well on the outside of a DM screen, that's when we decided to throw a DM screen in too. Oh, um, oh, cool. And, and have a DM screen that on the outside has the same art as the poster cards, as the poster um, cards, postcards. Yeah. And then on the inside have stuff tailored for the adventure so the dm can have easy access to information that would otherwise be hard to find in the book i like that um as a non-dungeon master but if i were a dungeon master i would appreciate having the dm screen that is tailor-made for the adventure that i'm running so that's a that's a good call but i also like as a player to be able to see art that represents the location that i'm in yeah and the, the art has a very distinctive style, which I really it's like. Really cool. I, I was, I'm very, very happy um, with. So the art, the artists who did it, they go, they, they're they known collectively as Couple of Kooks, <laughs> K-O-O-K-S. Oh, 
Perfect. So a couple, for of this kook, couple of kooks did the art, which makes sense for this adventure. And the slogans are really fun too. Yeah, I came up with those. Of course. You did? You yeah. wrote those? Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, that could, if you weren't a game designer, you could also be a, a travel, uh, you could work for a, a chamber of commerce <laughs> and, and write travel brochures. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, many, many times. Too dark because you know they'd be going through the mail, so we don't want to spook our mailmen. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, he'd be like, yeah. "What is this place? <laughs> this sounds amazing. I'm gonna right. call my wife right is now." This, is this old bone grinder a real place? Like, can I actually go here? <laughs> I'm excited. It's a tourist attraction. Clearly, yeah, yeah, they're really cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and I think uh, there is something to creating this like atmosphere, right? That's kind of important for, well, I guess for all D&D adventures, but it's specifically about this one because you are doing a different specific flavor of Dungeons & Dragons when you play Curse of Strahd. And so having these little uh, artifacts and pieces of art and DM screens that transport you into uh, that kind of mindset, I think really help bring the, the story to, to life. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And then the one other thing, um, the, the one other component is there is a surprise that when you first open the box, the first component you see is a bit of a surprise. I won't talk about it anymore. Wasn't now. expecting to see you here. Yeah. Um, uh, so the, the, first of all, I call it Taroka deck, but I heard you say it differently. That's correct. Okay. Taroka, um, Taraka. Tomato, tomato. It's called the whole Vampire-y, vampiric, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so these are, you have to use these in the adventure. Well, you can swap them out for a normal deck of cards, but yeah, you'll need a deck okay. of cards of some kind. So I've been playing with them. Can I, can I give you a reading? Sure. Okay. Um, we can't, I don't, normally I would have you cut the deck, but I'm Do I need to translate or what? Oh, I have my, get, I have my, you just, book. oh, you're going to wing it. Good. All right. I got my, it. my Taroka deck book right here. Oh, sweet. Okay. okay. Give me a number one through five. Four. Okay. You got the seer card. Oh. Okay. Um, okay. Hang on. I don't know them by heart, but <laughs> um, I actually, um, I like this game. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be fun. Inspiration and keen intellect. We were just talking about how inspired you were to write this. And obviously we know you're very, very smart. A future event, the outcome of which will hinge on a clever mind. (gasps) And you were telling us before we started recording what you're working on. I know. It came true. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) Shelly, are you mad? The cards know all. I have been practicing. The cards know all. They do. They do. So... Uh, you can find me on Elkai Beach this summer <laughs> doing some readings. Only from a Taroka card deck. I take Venmo and... <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I love the yeah. artwork uh, that accompanied the each of the cards for the Taroka deck. Chuck Lukash uh, did a fantastic yeah. job. Yeah, the Chuck, we almost, we almost broke Chuck with the Taroka deck because coming up with... 54, you know, iconic snapshots of things. Um, once you get to like 48, 49, you're just probably ready to be done. And I know that at the, the last few, Chuck was just like grinding. Um, there was no rubber left. What, uh, what was that process like? Were you, you wrote the art descriptions for each one of those? Uh, so it was, it was even simpler than that. Um, we... 
we gave Chuck the old deck mm. because there, was a, there wasn't a second edition to rock a deck that had some different imagery um, just so we'd have that. Then we gave him sort of uh, like a, like one liners and then he just worked off of that. So then, then, and then some ground rules, like for instance, when you're dealing with the cards in the various suits, you have to make sure that there's the right number of swords in the illustration. Like the seven of swords has seven swords in it. Oh yeah. They can be worked in in different ways, but they all have to be there. So the trick for us when we got the art back was just actually counting to make sure that there were the right number of everything, the right number of glyphs, the right number of swords, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it's like every time I see a beholder now, I have to be like, one, two, three, count five, the number of eye stocks. Yep. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Um, uh, so, and the uh, Raven is still the Raven. my favorite. I love the so Raven. Good. Yes. I just, it's just so evocative. I just Agreed. Agreed. We yes. used that as a cover for Dragon Plus, if I remember yeah. correctly. Back, we did it. We did a different version of it for the cover, actually. It had the ampersand yeah. in, in its mouth. I you believe. got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah these yeah. are these are beautiful. Yeah. So having those like oversized Taroka deck cards is a selling point in this anyway. But they're also foil stamped, aren't they? Yes, exactly. They are. Yes. I don't know if you can see it. Well, it's hard. It's hard to see the foil on on camera, but it's there. That's so there. gorgeous. Delightful. And the cards, the cards are bigger too. We enlarged them for this, um, for the over forty players. <laughs> <laughs> well, just so that they also just look more impressive when you lay them down for they the really card do. reading. They really um, do. Yeah, so they're they're bigger than the the versions that we released previously. So, so cool. as I was saying with uh, with Shelly in our intro for this, uh, it's we're in the throes of fall right now. I mean, there's skeletons everywhere in uh, West Seattle. Uh, lots yeah. of spiders already making their spider webs without even the fake spider webs going out. I know. Pumpkins. It's true. I have I have a spider who's nestled in my portico. He's been there for or she's been there for three weeks now. Yeah, yeah. and it says uh, splendid on the. <laughs> That's yeah. some pig. That's some pig. <laughs> <laughs> we call it a pig spider. <laughs> so rude, man. Yeah. Uh, so a, a lot of people like to roll, roll out uh, Curse of Strahd or at least do a one shot uh, around yeah. it. What, uh, what kind of advice would you give for people who uh, are excited to get Curse of Strahd revamped and, and delve into it during this very Halloween y period of time? Be, be careful with candles. Um, get candles that you can't accidentally knock over easily. <laughs> Because <laughs> in, in the throes of a D&D game, people get excited and yeah, arms start flailing. Dice go everywhere. Yeah, if you've got mood candles lighting things up, you don't want to knock those flying and have wax all over your keyboard. Well, <laughs> that, that could be how you get your wax stamp if you really want yeah. that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Make, it, make your own. Yes. And, I mean, that's with, with, with Halloween approaching, uh, this is obviously a great adventure to play, but it's always, it's always wise to remember that you know, in a spooky adventure, you know, make sure that the players are having fun, um, that that nobody's getting so spooked out that, you know. So on a scale of one to ten, one, I don't know, being like a, a, a Real Housewives um, episode and ten being like Poltergeist. Or like, mm-hmm. To me, that was the scariest movie ever. How scary do you think this is? Oh, this? Yeah. Um, so... I think it it largely depends on how how moody the DM makes it. Okay. Um, if you, you can you can sort of desaturate the horror a bit uh, and just kind of run things or or try to or emphasize uh, things 
a little in a way that's a little bit differently. And there are funny quirk, lots of funny quirky characters who you can either play as kind of dark and sinister or more uh, sort of weird and and um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Adam's family esque. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Quirky like cousin, cousin it, and yeah, yeah. Thing. You could easily do an Adam's family vibe to a Curse of Strahd game okay. if you wanted to, um, where the camp is always kind of surfacing. Wow, what was that? <laughs> do you have a monster in your room, Shelley? It's puppy. It's puppy. I'm, I'm gonna open the door and let him out because I was Make telling Greg before he. He's having some digestive issues Oh, today. yeah. He's giving Please. you a sign. Yeah, he's like, there's some things happening that uh, it, it's like foreshadowing of horror, right? You want to be able to make, let people know that there's Exactly. Now, out. one of my one of the things that I've done at conventions and things is run Curse of Strahd where, the, character, where the characters, uh, the, the game begins with the characters waking up in Strahd's study and they haven't got anything on except like their sleeping garments. And all their Been gear there. is gone. And it's all about just getting out of the castle alive. I think that's another another thing you can do with this adventure is just sort of start the characters in a precarious spot and just see how they do in the next three hours. You know, can they get out of the castle in one piece without their swords, without their spell books, without their, you know. I'm going to go with no. They, they get to improvise, you know. <laughs> they, you know, Suddenly they're walking around like Scooby-Doo characters with like candlesticks in their right. hands. Right, right. Um, Yeah, that's a fun way to do it as a one shot, you know, if people don't want to uh, invest in doing an entire campaign because there is a lot of content Mm -hmm. here. Like that's one thing that's uh, (laughs) important to note uh, from the 16 pages that was in I-6, the Ravenloft adventure. You've expanded it to, uh, how many pages is this? Now I'm I'm calling myself out. Is that 256? I think so, yeah. Don't mind my dog, Milo. He, he's he's oh, growling. We love Milo. He's growling at the garbage trucks. <laughs> garbage oh, trucks. Yes, it's our garbage day today, too. Yeah. How dare they. The neighborhood. <laughs> well, they're taking your stuff, basically. So Yeah, he's, yeah he yeah. doesn't like that. <laughs> he's like, that's my food. That's what I eat. That's, I eat that stuff. <laughs> it's my crap. <laughs> 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 yeah, so there's there's a lot to explore, right? Barovia is is not just uh, Castle Ravenloft. Uh, there is a yeah. lot of of things and lots of stories and plots that you can right. or cannot interact with, depending on how you go. Right? And it also depends on how what the card draw is. Like if the random card draws point you in certain locations, that means you avoid other locations that you might not get to play the first time around. Oh, replayability. So replayability is a huge part of both adventures, the original and the Curse of Strong. Yeah. Yeah. So being able to uh, you know do this four years later after you might have run it in 2016, yeah, uh, it's yeah. a it's a great way to revisit it, and you'll probably have. I mean, like you would with any D and D campaign. It's completely. I said this in the intro, but you know, it's 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 really fun yeah. to kind of go down there that road again and see what different notes hit. Oh, absolutely, and that's part of the reason why like even Tracy Hickman runs it as an annual event for his family and friends is because every time you run the adventure, you get kind of a different outcome, or you can play Strahd a little differently. You know. Um, the circumstances, the reasons, the place where you encounter Strahd and sort of the reasons why he's behaving the way he is and all that can kind of change time after time. I remember Tracy describing to us uh, one of his experiences running the adventure where the characters finally confronted Strahd in his parents' tomb and he was just sort of, he had thrown himself bodily on like on his mother's coffin 
and was just weeping for oh. her and how sympathetic Strahd was in that moment. Yes. Um, and how that lulled the characters into a false sense of security. <laughs> Good tactic. It worked on me. I was like, oh, oh let me hand you a tissue. <laughs> you poor boy. Take all like, my no, blood. He's just, he's just bad. He's, he's, he's horrible. But he that is, is kind of charming, too. Well, that's the thing about vampires is they can turn on the charm when they have to, but it's all part of the game, right? Yeah. I, this is, I'm, I would not fare well in Barovia. Yeah. It's a, is it, do you find it a challenging uh, villain or adventure to run <laughs> because of that? Like, because you have to be manipulative in a way? Uh, it, yeah, it can be, it can also be, I know it can be frustrating for the characters when Strahd uses his full bag of tricks and escapes over and over and over again. It's like, can't we just nail this guy down? Um, he's always taken off in bat form or gaseous form or wolf form or whatever and leaving us high and dry. Oh, but the paladin's just been bit on the neck. That's great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, there can be both elements of not only terror, but also frustration when dealing with a vampire. And you kind of have to buy, you kind of have to buy into that, I think, as a player. It's like, okay, he's, he's our arch nemesis in this adventure. Obviously, he's going to be a hard guy to pin down. And obviously, we're going to find ourselves at our wit's end um, dealing with him if he's being played right. I think uh, the least satisfying Curse of Strahd story is, you know, Strahd knocks on your door at the, you know, in the, ta- in the tavern <laughs> or whatever at the, 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 the village and you just kill him on the spot. That would be sort of anti <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Like, I guess we don't need to go to that big castle after all. Right. <laughs> he came That's to us. Right. He delivered the adventure to us. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that is, was easy. Is it fair? I always feel like, <coughs> excuse me, that it's cheating a little, but is it fair to, um, like, as a player, you know what your dungeon master is going to run for you? And you probably know your, there's a vampire... <laughs> right. So, like, I, can you just, like, how how do I best build a character for going into this adventure? Is that fair? Is that cheating to, to build your character base? I think it's that? fair going into Curse of Strahd to build your character with the end game in mind that you're going to be fighting undead and and prepare accordingly. I mean, you're basically, reli- you're basically doing the D&D version of Dracula, right? And if you're playing a, you know, a Van Helsing vampire hunter, that's okay, the story expects that to be represented. Um, I think that you want to have a cleric in the party. That's not being meta. That's just being, that's just living up to the expectations of what a D and D adventure with a vampire requires. If you don't have a, if you don't have a cleric who can heal or turn undead, then you're just, you're kind of going into this adventure. Like, like idiots, like you're, you, might you're well playing, you might as well be playing the Goonies at that point. You're just gonna, which would be very fun. Yeah, I could see, I could see a DM with a lot of work taking sort of the essence of Curse of Strahd and having it be more like a Scooby Doo or Goonies style of experience, where it's a, it's a little bit more player friendly. Like maybe you don't have to slay the vampire; you can just like unmask him. Yeah, or. Or, or do the thing, like put the, put the sacred relic on his coffin so that he's like banished to his coffin and can't get out, you know, things like that. That'd be fun. Yeah. 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 Um, there's a lot of um, uh, different characters and NPCs uh, in here, as, as there is in every adventure, but a lot of them uh, I think are pretty evocative. Uh, what, what are, I mean, 
I might be just softballing this to you, but I know Blinsky's Toys uh, is a is a soft spot for your for, in your heart. Yeah. So um, in the original Ravenloft, there weren't a lot. There wasn't a lot of space to flesh out characters. So there was like Irina, the woman that Strahd was tormenting. There was um, a character named Leaf, who was Strahd's accountant, this tortured man living in the castle with this vampire. And then there was this um, um, this sort of Igor-like creature. In creating Curse of Strahd, we wanted to expand the number of characters in Barovia dramatically. Blinsky was a really good one. That Blinsky was born out of our meeting uh, uh, during a meeting when Tracy was actually on site with us in a brainstorm room, and we were just coming up with ideas to expand upon the adventure. And I don't remember who proposed it, but it was obvious one of the tropes of horror is the is the toy maker or the the toys that come alive, you know, marionettes that talk and living mm-hmm. dolls and you know Chucky and all these. Uh, things they come up in horror movies all the time and so we we like the idea of having a toy maker figure somewhere into the story and it was during the brainstorm session when we're actually fleshing out the name of the toy maker and it was tracy who hit upon the name Blinsky, and it was myself who uh, came up with the catchphrase is no fun is no Blinsky," and i I knew I had it right when Tracy just was laughing his ass off uh, in the meeting uh, when I said it because um, uh, we were talking about the idea that this catchphrase would keep coming up in the adventure. Like you'd find toys scattered around that children would leave behind or would just be lying on the floor somewhere. And you'd always be able to identify it's a Blinsky toy by this little sewn-in tag which says, is no fun, is no Blinsky. Oh, my Um, God. That's adorable. And then uh, only only when I started writing the adventure did we start to did I start to really sort of flesh out the character and give him this little monkey and a ballerina tutu companion named Piccolo, uh, who basically is his his only friend. Um, Aww. Yeah, I felt that Blinsky needed something to bounce off of in his shop. Totally. And having this little monkey cavorting around the shop seemed like a really good fit. And I've always been fond of sort of um, hurdy gritty monkeys. Yeah. You know. I figure the story could use one, and those are creepy too. I mean, the 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 whole evil monkey has a is a trope unto itself. Yeah, the whole clapping symbol monkey. Yeah. keeps you know, I mean, that, ever, that the Wizard of Oz kind of ruined monkeys for me. Mm. So I Flying just think, monkeys, yeah, yeah, they are kind of yeah. evil anyway. I know. Even us talking about it in this way, I keep seeing Shelley be like, "Ooh, ooh, creepy toys." I know. Well, you brought me back to Poltergeist again. Remember when you hooked <laughs> under the bed and yeah, oh, 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 oh. yeah. But obviously, in Curse of Strahd, we got to we got to sort of range a little bit beyond the vampire motif, um, and really get into some of the other gothic tropes. Like there is a there's a part of the story that has a very bride of Frankenstein feel to it. For instance, mm. um, there's another part of the story that's very much like a the haunted crumbling mansion, the haunt. You know, um, there's the there's the haunted wizard's tower. There's the werewolf stuff worked into the story that wasn't emphasized before. So we, we pretty much, we tried to plumb the depths of Gothic horror tropes and insert those into Barovia where appropriate. Um, so that we're sort of covering the full universal monster spectrum in a way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It does feel like it is, uh, 
old-timey horror. You know, it's like that idea of like the, the way that horror used to be portrayed it still has, you know, the same kind of things that makes us, our, our skin crawl, but it, dev, it does have that, you know, backwards-looking kind of feel to it, which I think makes it even creepier somehow, mm-hmm. that history. Yeah, it, it, it feels like you're stepping back in time. Um, and I think that's important. Um, it, it takes you back to a more sort of Gothic slash Victorian period, which, you know, you just, you, you just understand on some level that people, people were less equipped to deal with that kind of thing back then. And so there is this sort of romanticism that kind of surrounds that period of time. And the, the, the fact that, um, you the 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 monsters feel a little bit more primal mm. um, and they feel uh a little bit a little bit more tethered to humanity because you know vampires and werewolves are reflections of humanity they're sort of the embodiments of the worst traits of humankind you know the 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 the, the savage uh, creature that lives inside of us or the, the suave, deceitful, blood-drinking um, uh, figure who sort of embodies um, sexuality uh, in a dark way. Um, those, they're all just mere reflections of what the worst aspects of humanity are. Mm. I think when you get to more modern horror, you start to divert, you start to get away from humanity. You start to talk about things that are extraterrestrial or mm-hmm. human or Lovecraftian, you know, and they don't, they, they're not meant to be mirrors that we hold up to see the worst inside ourselves. There's something extra. There's something external. Yeah, yeah, and I think that really comes comes through. And even just in you describing that, it, the, the the monsters you're describing used to be human. They were human at one point, and then they become more perverted, yes. a, 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 you know, uh, exaggerated versions of exactly. these dark parts of our exactly. Our and that came up that came up a lot in my conversations with Tracy, and that was very important um, to to Tracy and Laura to sort of preserve that element, as well as this idea that everything in Barovia is basically. Um, suffering as a consequence of Strahd's deeds or actions. So there's nothing in Curse of Strahd that doesn't tie directly back to Strahd, that you can't say, this is the way it is because Strahd did this Mm. or Strahd did that. Um, There there were ideas that we put out there originally that we brainstormed that we could not tie to Strahd very clearly, and so we abandoned them. Mm. Um, And that, I think, also has given the adventure a lot of strength because everything points back to the same source. In a way, all the things that you see are reflecting Strahd's evil. Wow. Um, the, only, the only one who can't see, it's, it's ironic that the only one, that, that Strahd is the only one who can't see himself. He cannot see the evil that he is, and that's his problem. Because um, vampires do not see their own reflection, so they cannot look at themselves fascinating so he he yeah. i mean like every good villain he thinks he's just doing what what, what he needs to do in order yeah. to and survive he is, incapa- he is incapable of change he's incapable of it because he can't see himself he can only be destroyed yeah so here's an idea we've talked a lot about uh you know the the qualities of horror as well as the tropes uh in modern horror um one thing that comes to mind is that sequels are a much bigger part of 
the modern cinematic landscape of horror films. Uh, and to an extent, although, you know, um, there are some standout sequels within the horror genre that date back quite far. Um, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein being a good example. For sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm imagining a scenario where uh, a group of friends got together and played Curse of Straw when this came out in 2016. They're excited about revisiting uh, it with the Curse of Strahd revamped. What w- advice would you give to a dungeon master who doesn't want to just run the adventure again with new characters, but wants to revisit and perhaps reconnect some of the things that happened in the first campaign as a, oh, as a kind yeah. of sequel campaign using yeah. uh, this box? Uh, what, what That's are- a really interesting idea. I think it all depends on um, what the DM is... Uh, what sort of stakes the DM is willing to put in the ground. If it's really good, yeah. <laughs> as, as far as um, like, is this going to be a continuation of some previous experience? Like if you're running this adventure for a, a group of players who have been through it already, the first thing I would ask is, you know, what happened at the end the first time they went through the adventure? If Strahd was destroyed, for instance, the question becomes, okay, you have a choice now. Do you want to bring him back and, and contrive a means by which that could happen. For instance, there could be a cult to Strahd that is sort of gathering up his ashes or his you know, pieces or whatever and performing a ritual that will cause him to reform. Um, you know, some ancient sect has come to Barovia to see that that happens and maybe the heroes are tipped off and they have to go back into Barovia to prevent Strahd from reforming. And so suddenly you've got, a, you've got the same set pieces, but now the impetus has changed. Strahd is not an is not an existing threat. He is a potential returning threat. And what that means, so it's like a, a ticking clock. You've got to stop the, you've got to stop these cultists who have taken over Castle Ravenloft and are planning, planning to bring the master back from death. That's what's one way you could go. You could also go the idea of another creature filling the power vacuum. And this is a conversation I had with Jeremy Crawford, my colleague. Um, one of the ways that he sort of um, put the put a new light or new spin on the adventure was um, he took um, the character of Petrina, who is one of the vampire's brides in the catacombs, who currently exists as a ghost, and had her basically step in as the new sort of lord of Castle Ravenloft uh, once Strahd fell, and so she's sort of gathering, consolidating her power um, because it was always her destiny to rule at Strahd's side. Mm, that's so, cool. That, so that's another fun take, is you could basically do a ghost story version mm-hmm. of, of Curse of Strahd, where Petrina is like possessing creatures instead of just sort of descending upon them like bats and things. Uh, so, And that's just using toys that already exist within Curse of Strahd. And I think that's the key, is finding something else to latch onto that you can then sort of elevate up and say this is going to be the driving force of the story in Strahd's absence if he's not there, or you know, if if Strahd is partnering with some other creature, what that would be. There's the whole element um, in Curse of Strahd of this angelic being, the abbot, who has created a golem bride for Strahd. Well, what happens if they actually get together? What if what if one of the goals of the adventure is you have to stop the wedding? Because mm. if Strahd marries this golem-like bride, maybe something terrible will happen. You know, some some prophecy will be fulfilled and and cause Barovia to fade into the real world again, where it will suddenly become this terrifying force of evil. You know, there's all kinds of stuff to play with. I think there. 
That's uh, that is fun. What a cool list. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I'm hoping that inspires a lot of people to jump in uh, and uh, see what is possible with Curse of Strahd revamped. Uh, it comes out October 20th, so by the time you listen to this, it might actually be available in y- your local game store, so go check it out if you haven't already. Um, and I-, I can't wait. I mean, I-, I feel like there's so much here, and we're in the throes of Halloween anyway, so yes. why not uh, take it for a spin as a one-shot and some of the ideas that Chris mentioned, or uh, you know, ho- hopefully get inspired to, to run another campaign. Um, anything right. else on Curse of Strahd Vivamped? Uh, uh, gotta love the title, right? I do, indeed. I spent some time. Uh, anyway, the back cover, I wrote the back cover copy, You Can Bury Yourself in Gothic Horror. Oh, there were so uh, many puns, so many. Yeah, I'm just showing the box, because I think it's important, again, to show the sheer size of this box. It's bigger than, than a bread box. Yes, Definitely well, bigger than a bread box. It's... It's huge, yeah. and it's heavy. So, it's it's got some heft to Very, it. That's for sure. Hands, for Very sure. durable. Yeah, Very it looks durable. Great on your shelf. Let me tell you. <laughs> nice. Bury it underground and find it in uh, twenty years. <laughs> you know that would have been that would have been a great marketing uh, thing where we actually buried some boxes like around the globe and given people clues to find them. I would have, but we're not allowed to go anywhere. <laughs> exactly. True. True. We would have set this up, and then COVID would have descended upon us and ruined it. That was totally my plan. I, but I have I have a few buried around West Seattle, so keep an eye out. <laughs> we'll be we'll be giving out clues. <laughs> a little geocaching for yeah. Strahd. You already mentioned Alki. Maybe it's down there next oh, to where you're doing your Taroka. Uh-huh. <laughs> my readings. I like it. I like that we're like. <laughs> <laughs> convincing people there's an ARG happening when there is <laughs> a, little, a little my little side hustle you don't know you, you don't know. know now we have to do it we backdoored ourselves <laughs> into doing it <laughs> all that's right, awesome find, uh, find Greg and I I can't wait thank you Chris for, for taking the time to talk to us about all this as well as uh, delving into fun lore around uh, vampires and, and Ravenloft oh. uh, there's a lot there to get into so uh, yeah, I can't wait yeah. Yeah. can't wait to talk to you about your next Project. Bum, bum, bum. Which one? There's so Only many. The Taroka deck. There are so many. Yeah. <laughs> Pick one. We'll see. We'll let the Taroka deck decide. Yeah. yeah. Great. But if Curse of Strahd does well, who knows? Maybe we'll we'll do this kind of thing again. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Tyranny of Dragons revamped. Wait, well, we already kind of did that with the uh with the, the combination. We did. we did. But maybe there's something out there. So. Yeah. Demons. Bring me demons. More demons. Demon weddings. More weddings. Z- <laughs> Zuggy. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Chris. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, this is fun. Oh, as right. always. Oh, my goodness. Amazing. So much fun horror discussions uh, about how to run Curse of Strahd, either as a one-shot or just jumping back into the campaign. I especially like yes. that sequel idea. I was going to say, that was... First of all, great idea, Greg. Thank but you. I, he had such wonderful suggestions. How fun. How yeah. fun. I love it. I like it too. Uh, and there is something about this episodic nature of uh, coming back to it each time during this this period of year. So, you know, people can take this Curse of revamped and, you know, maybe run one or two sessions uh, during October each you know, each year and co- mm-hmm. go back to it with your with your group again and again. I like that idea too that 
you know, each time you send out those postcards again, be like, it's time yep. to come back to Barovia. Ooh, that's right. Because, yeah, of course, if you were true adventurers, you would want to keep going back. That's right. And defeating the evil that is Strahd. Yes. Count so, so many Strahd ways you can Zarevich. take it. Uh, so, if you are excited about Curse of Strahd revamped as much as we are, again, it's October 20th when you can go receive it. It will be at your local game store, uh, but you can also order it at various places on the line. Yep. And uh, start playing, and we'd love to see more fun stuff. We've got a lot of interesting uh, sessions of that coming up you might be able to check out. I don't have any exact details I can tell you right now, but there will be um, some folks playing Dungeons & Dragons uh, in the Curse of Strahd style that you might know and love, right? Yes. Coming you up. really We'll I can't let you wait. know all about that. I so the way to find out is to follow us on Twitter or on Facebook or on the Instagram. That's wizards underscore DND on most of those platforms. And if you want to get in touch with myself, I am at Greg Tito on Twitter as well as Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. And Shelly Moo. Mm-hmm. I'm Shelly Moo. On Twitter and Instagram. And I can probably do some Taroka readings over Twitter if you Ooh, that's if a you'd great like idea. Your, your cards read. I know. I remember we did that that Twitter bot promotion back when that? Curse of Stride came God, out, which I really enjoyed. That was that long ago because it honestly it feels like last year. Yes, it was. It was oh, twenty sixteen. So a long cool. time ago. Uh, so that's fantastic. And of course, Dragon Plus is a great way to get all of your information about Dungeons and Dragons, some previews, interviews, uh, lots of great content, including maps, uh, maybe even a short story written by one of us. <gasps> Not me. Issue. So who does that leave? I know, it's me. I can't yeah, believe you, you guys have to get, if you haven't already st- started reading Dragon Plus or downloaded it to your device or visited it online. You have to for this issue because Greg has a story in it. I'm very excited. And then you have to write to him and tell him how great he is. <laughs> Everything except for that part, part is, of the deal. is what you should do. Uh, no, tell me how I need to improve my writing uh, with, uh, you don't know, lots of drinking of wine, perhaps. Was, was Bart a good editor for you? He was a great editor. He was fantastic. Bart Carroll did a great job and I uh, shout out to uh, all of the great suggestions he had. Oh, good. Yeah, he had some some really great ideas for who the murderer might be, uh, which I got to include as a, that's ridiculous, that would never happen. <laughs> nice. In the story itself, so that's super fun. I got to call out the editor, which is always great to do. <laughs> Editors love that. Excellent. Uh, so if uh, you would like to pay attention to all that stuff, of course, it's available. If you don't want to uh, download Dragon Plus onto your Android phone or iOS device, you can get it at dragonmag.com. All the content on there, many of the back issues, uh, including ones from 2016 when we first were talking about Curse of Strahd. And so uh, check those out if you're interested. Lots of great content there, including, I think, the first adventure, the, uh, the bone, the windmill Death House, that's what it was called, I think it was actually included in Dragon Plus uh, in its entirety. So you can wow. jump in there and get that for free right now. I also want to lay, make sure everyone knows that it is time for Drunky Two-Shoes and what she is going to do next. Well, sounds like she's falling in love. She is. She has a very uh, strong, muscular sailor, bare-chested, who had just brought her on board 
their little smuggling ship. You see small, uh, you see crates uh, full of weapons uh, and a, uh, you know, a sail and a, a short man uh, comes over and says, why, why did you bring this to Maxi on board? <laughs> to which drunk you just meows? Uh, and the sailor who had brought her on board said, uh, I don't know, she was drowning. I thought, I didn't want there to be witnesses of what's happening here. Maybe we can convince her to be on our side. On our side? Meow? <laughs> Are you only going to meow now back and forth? I'm trying to, um, yes. Um, <laughs> what, what, I, I am indebted to you because you saved my life. That's Thank right. You. Yes. I did. Yes. And you're not going to rat us out, right? I don't even know what I'd be ratting out. But rats, where? I love rats. Let me get the rats. I'm a cat, remember? Uh, the short Meow. man says, clearly she's, uh, she's, she's not right in the head. <laughs> Just throw her back into the water. I- and uh, uh, he's, he's you know, kind of coming out of you with like a little, little knife. Okay. Well, Drunky has a short temper, so she pounces on him and tries to stab him in the face. Roll me your attack. I forgot to open my character sheet. It's okay. Just roll it. Just roll it. If it's high, we'll, we'll say you hit it. Three. A three. That's right. Man, whenever it counts. Uh, so, yeah, right. you try to pounce on uh, this this little man, and uh, you kind of bounce off of him and uh-huh. hit uh, the uh, crate or no a barrel full of what looks like poorly made uh, swords and daggers and they fall over and clatter to the ground and all of a sudden all of these uh, blades are <laughs> all on the deck uh, and the little man says ah get, get her out of here I'm going to grab one of them All right, one of the swords we'll, we'll the pick blades. it back up there uh, next week uh, on the gone going adventures of Drunky Two Shoes meow meow <laughs> <laughs>